Well, hello and welcome to this new edition, new episode of the Probe Podcast. I'm going to be your host today, Paul Rutherford. I'm a research associate here with Probe. Probe is an equipping apologetics and Christian worldview ministry to help Christians think biblically. I like to say the other six days of the week, not just on Sunday. We do that through our website, probe.org, through teaching and speaking live, through a summer camp for teenagers, through a church program called Periscope, and through uh, a radio program and podcasts like this and others. So uh, if you haven't heard of us, check it out. Today, we're going to continue a conversation about climate change. There's lots to talk about with climate change. That's a very loaded word, a very loaded phrase, and I'm going to be having it with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Ray Bolin. Dr. Bolin, glad you're here. Glad to be here, Paul. Yeah. And uh, we talked about this in an earlier podcast, but why don't you remind our, our listener today, um, maybe some of your credentials, shall we say, of uh, why, why it is you're talking about climate change. Well, I, I do have a PhD in biology at Probe. I've been sort of the science apologist since I've been here. Since mm-hmm. I completed that education, and so I've dealt with many aspects of science, although part of my education was in ecology. And so I've studied ecology, so I'm familiar with some environmental issues just because of that, and would probably have considered myself an environmentalist for a good part of my early life. But this global warming slash climate change issue has been around now for well over 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. And I was very cautious at the beginning. Christians often get labeled as being anti-science, and I didn't want... Sadly, yes. And I just have to be careful if I'm going to come out against something, which I hadn't really formed an opinion yet, but I just wanted to make sure and, and get more data, follow the discussion, follow the controversy, and see where it went. I soon became convinced that the global warming and now the climate change uh issue is taken way out of proportion than what the data actually shows. And that if I were any kind of government policymaker, I would not make any changes in the use of fossil fuels because of my my skepticism over this question. Okay, so thanks for segueing us right into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is why exactly are we talking about this, especially for our listener? What are they going to get out of it? Which is something we also talked about in, in the other podcast related to this issue, which is just that, listener, I think you might be surprised to hear in this podcast, especially from you, Dr. Bowen, we're not going to toe the typical line of climate yeah. change, that climate change is happening right now, and we need swift and immediate and severe policy change and economic change, economic reform. The Green New Deal is something I think about mm-hmm. that was proposed this yep. this year in U.S. Uh, legislature. Probably safe to say for yourself, Dr. Bowen, you're, you're very skeptical of the efficacy or the need for those types of things. Yes, there's no need for it. Maybe yeah. that's even too soft a term. Yeah. That's not, not accurate. But that's going to be kind of the tenor of this conversation. For you listeners, might be different. Hopefully, we'll have asked some questions you haven't asked yourself before, maybe you haven't heard before. I, I know, Dr. Bowen, from our previous conversations, we're going to take some perspectives that are not often taken by mainstream media. We're going to mm-hmm. ask questions that aren't often asked, and we're going to look at some data that's just not often talked about. Yeah. Kind of swept under the rug, really. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. what it looks like the, the more I talk with you about it and, uh, and read for myself mm-hmm. on these types of issues. So that's kind of what's in store. So whereas the last podcast I thought was a really good kind of introduction for the topic and sets up your recent article posted at probe.org, which is called Climate Change. And this one, I think we're going to probably focus in on a couple different aspects. That's the plan for today, for this episode. I'm talking really about uh, CO2 
and severe weather. So yeah. I guess you could kind of call this filling in the gaps yeah. on the other one. If we haven't hit it well enough in terms of just the alarmism or the, the reason or the purpose for talking about this, Dr. Ray, please go ahead and, and fill me in here. But but otherwise, if you'd like to, to get down to it, I think the last time we really had a gap in terms of what's the fuss about CO2? Yeah. I mean, why is this so important? So you can take that either way you want to well, go. Well, carbon dioxide is the major gas along with water that's emitted when you burn fossil fuels, meaning coal, oil, and gas. Okay. And for automobiles, gasoline is derived from oil, so it involves gasoline as well. So we've been beginning to put back into the atmosphere a lot of the carbon that had been sequestered in coal, oil, and gas under the surface of the earth. It used to be a part of our atmosphere. Plants take in carbon dioxide with water. They make the sugar glucose, which is the foundation for all plant and animal life. And so what gets buried, coal is mainly plant material. They think oil is primarily animal material, but a combination of which forms natural gas. And as the 20th century moved along, we started emitting more and more and more carbon dioxide per year. The average has been going up increasingly. And then what people began to notice is that starting in about at least 1900, we haven't had actual recorded temperatures by thermometer until about the 1890s, at least on a global scale. And so recorded temperatures only go back to that point, so about 130 years of temperature data. They began to notice that the temperature started rising. And as we look back at those global temperatures, they rose fairly significantly through about 1940. And then it entered a slight downward turn or didn't rise at all temperature until about 1975. And then it started to increase a bit more dramatically. Okay. As we mentioned in the last podcast, the amount of temperature change has been only about one degree Celsius or about one and a half degrees Fahrenheit over that period of time since 1900. And so it was reasonable to make a connection between increasing carbon dioxide and increasing temperature because we know that carbon dioxide or CO2 is what's called a greenhouse gas. And what that means is that when carbon dioxide is hit by normal sunlight, it will warm up because of that, the molecule itself, but the radiation it emits is simply heat. It doesn't emit light, it produces heat. And so that will cause the Earth's atmosphere to warm some. Now, overall, we have other greenhouse gases. There's water, there's methane, and those are actually more powerful greenhouse gases than carbon dioxide is. But they allow the Earth to keep in much of the heat that the sun delivers and allows us, allows us to have a fairly comfortable temperature around the world for, for most of the latitudes. So actually, greenhouse gas is a good thing. But the other part of carbon dioxide is you have to think also about how much of the atmosphere does it actually compose. Now, our atmosphere has two primary components. Nitrogen is about 78% of our atmosphere. Sounds like the majority. Vast majority. 21% is oxygen, and those two together is 99%. Yeah, that's... The mo it's almost all of it. And most of that remaining 1% is the gas argon. 
So carbon dioxide is a very trace gas in our atmosphere. Sounds like less than 1%. Far less than 1%. Oh, far less than 1%. What you're given in the media are terms like 400 parts per million. Right. Now, when you put it in the hundreds, that sounds like a lot. But if you take that parts per million... Yes. And you bring it down to a, a level we can understand a little bit Because a million's a really big number. Yeah, that's a really big number. Who knows what a million of yeah. anything is, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're a millionaire and you got millions of dollars. But uh, um, it's simpler to say that means four parts out of every 10,000 parts in our atmosphere mm. is carbon dioxide. Interesting. Four out of every 10,000. That ends up being 0.04%. So over the last 100 years... Carbon dioxide has gone from basically 0.03% to 0.04%. Interesting. And that's, you know, about a third increase, but it's a trace gas in our atmosphere. (laughs) But in the grand scale of the entire atmosphere, it's a really tiny bit. It's a really tiny portion of the atmosphere. And now, not to be too harsh, because sometimes small things are very important. Yeah. And we're not saying that doesn't have an effect. It does have an effect, yeah. It obviously has an effect, but it's also important to keep its effect in the the bigger the bigger picture bigger picture that's the word i'm thinking yep. of in the grand scheme at least in this case the perspective of the whole atmosphere yep there's a lot a lot of gas in the atmosphere and most of it mm-hmm. sounds like nitrogen and then oxygen and that's the two of them together have yep. the lion's share and neither one of those is a greenhouse gas <laughs> so oh okay. they, they don't emit much in the way of heat okay so, interesting you know there's just a number of other things but carbon dioxide Most people don't think about carbon dioxide as a plant fertilizer. Plant food. It's plant food. So that sounds good. That's good for the atmosphere, right? Photosynthesis uses carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, water from the ground, and plants utilize energy from sunlight to build from those two small starting blocks to the sugar glucose, which ends up being the food source for almost all of life on Earth. Uh, Without photosynthesis, we're all dead. That's no exaggeration. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's also interesting to realize that nurseries in their greenhouses where they keep a warmer temperature because the glass, this happens in your car, emits lots of sunlight, but it hits the interior of the car. And the interior, whether it's plastic or leather or whatever it is or cloth, it emits the radiation back as heat. But the heat doesn't get through the glass very easily. No. So that's why when you get into your car and the temperature outside might be 40 degrees Fahrenheit, you get back in your car after leaving it for an hour, it's very comfy. Or you leave your car out in the sun in the middle of summer <laughs> and you get in it and oh, that's not so comfy. It's, no. It's extremely hot. Not getting in it. So that's a similar thing. That's what greenhouses do. Okay, they'll let the sunlight into the glass. The radiated heat doesn't get through the glass very easily. And so it warms up the greenhouse. What they also do, though, is they pump carbon dioxide into the greenhouse because as plant food, the plants that they're raising in the greenhouse will grow faster Hmm. and fuller. And so what we've seen over the last 20, 30 years, or even 23 years particularly, is that on average, we can see that the Earth is greening. It's getting more green. Really, on a global scale. On a global scale. 
so that the extra carbon dioxide is a good thing hmm. for plants. Are, for plants, yeah. and as far as food production through agriculture, yes, we keep breaking records year after year, and a part of that is because of the increasing carbon dioxide. Hmm. So we're not getting less food as the temperature warms; we're getting more. Hmm. And it makes us much more able to deal with famine elsewhere in the world. I was about to say that. Because sounds... we end up with a bunch more than we can use here. That sounds great for the economy, that too. That sounds great for a lot of things. <laughs> and so extra carbon dioxide has a number of good effects. No, that's interesting. You point that out because that I never heard that before. No, of course not. It's, what... al- it's always too much CO2 and global warming and... The sea levels are going to rise, and all the polar bears are going to die and head for the hills. During the last administration, the EPA actually labeled carbon dioxide now as a pollutant. It's a natural part of our atmosphere. Interesting. We've always had carbon dioxide here. The plants need it. And in fact, according to some estimates, the level of carbon dioxide at around 1900 was about 280 parts per million or... 2.8 parts per 10,000. And that's as low as it's ever been, as far as we can determine, in the entire history of the Earth. And that was when again? Uh, 280 parts per million was in 1900. 1900. And that, as far as we can tell, is the lowest level of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere ever. E- ever. Ever. And we have reason to maybe not have it recorded, but understand it, you know. Back thousands of years. I'm not sure how geologists do that, but there's uh, several graphs in George Wrightstone's book, Inconvenient Facts, that point that out going back. If you're going to accept, as I say in the article, if you accept the age of the Earth as virtually all climate scientists you know, assign it four and a half billion years, this is the least amount of carbon dioxide we've ever had. CO2 is the lowest it's ever been. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes in the past, it's been as high as 20 times what it is now. And temperatures were not 20 times warmer. Interesting. Well, we've also been able to see with the ice ages and the warming and the ice age warming, ice age warming, is that the increase in carbon dioxide comes after the warming starts. So the warming has not been caused by the carbon dioxide. It would almost seem the reverse. Well, as the ocean warms, it's not able to contain as much carbon dioxide because the carbon dioxide more easily comes out of the water. Okay. So that's part of what we think might be happening is it doesn't, or system doesn't contain as much carbon dioxide because of the warming temperatures. This is really interesting. So to do a recap for our listener, it's just that the observation scientists make are that we see global temperatures rising Mm -hmm. within the past recent history, past century, century and a half or so. We are now measuring CO2 levels in the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and geologists are apparently somehow able to figure out what CO2 levels were in the geologic past, which is interesting in itself. And at least in recent history, we're finding that CO2 levels are going up Global temperatures are going up, and so then when we know that because we're burning fossil fuels, we're making electricity because of the Industrial Revolution, human-produced CO2 is increasing. Mm-hmm. Because we weren't doing it, at least nearly as much, within the past two, right. two centuries. And so we infer then, because we are producing more CO2, we must be contributing to global warming. Right. Anthropogenic 
global warming. Right. Is that right? right? That's correct. Did I get the word right? I learned that <laughs> from you. And so that's how the thought process goes. And what I hear you saying now is that if we look at the history mm-hmm. of CO2 in, in the environment and the history of the Earth, it's fluctuated quite a bit. Yep. It's been significantly higher than it is right now. In fact, what I hear you saying is, historically, it's the lowest now yeah. it's really ever been. It's the lowest it's ever been. But also, correspondingly, there's not this direct correlation in history between temperature levels and CO2. Exactly. There has been times where the CO2 levels were 20 times more. Yeah, but, but temperature temperatures were not nearly no, that. Yeah, not nearly that hot. So, so there's kind of this by looking at evidence, looking at scientific data from the <clears throat> past, sometimes geologic, sometimes just in the past century or so. There's almost this decoupling of the direct correlation between temperature and CO2. That's one of the key things I, I hear you saying. Yeah, you know, clearly in the last say century and a half, what can be seen is what a statistician would call a correlation. There's a correlation between carbon dioxide increase with temperature increase. But that doesn't mean that one is causing the other or one is dependent on the other. What the scientific community is trying to tell us is that the increase in temperature is largely, if not solely, dependent on the rise of carbon dioxide. But if we go back through history, we don't see that same connection. Interesting. Yeah, you know, one of the things I learned in college, I think it was from, I studied philosophy in college, but I learned from one of my friends in a different major, was that correlation is not always causation. That's right. David Hume, a philosopher, definitely, definitely <laughs> said, that was one of his main criticisms. Just because you see two things correlated does not mean one causes yeah. the other. Sometimes it does, Sometimes. but not always, and those are But those it are takes very a different. lot more work to demonstrate that. It you does. A lot causation. more evidence to indicate causation, not correlation. Indeed. Something else about that is, in recent history, apart from the paleoclimate issues, if you go back before the Roman period, in what's called the Minoan period, which is about 1000 BC or so, temperatures that we can now get information on from what are called ice cores and from tree rings mm-hmm. indicate that the temperature during the Minoan period for a period of time was about 2 degrees Celsius warmer than it is today. There's also a warming in the what's called the Roman period, so more like about 100 BC to about AD 100. There was also a warm period, and the temperature at that point was about 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer than it is today. And there's also what's called the medieval warm period from about 900 to about 1300 AD, uh-huh. where the global temperatures were about 1 degree Celsius warmer than they are today. Now, in, in each of those three warmings... The medieval, the Roman, and the Minoan. Yeah. Yes. The humans had no impact on that. There was no industrial revolution back There's then. no industrial revolution. We had not caused any of that. We were not, as human species, were not involved in any way with any of those warmings. China was not making any cars back then. Nope. Nope. And that comes from one of my favorite books on this topic. Yeah, what's that called? Um, it's by S. Fred Singer, who is a retired climatologist, and Dennis T. Avery. It's called Unstoppable Global Warming Every 1500 Years. Unstoppable Global Warming Every 1500 every years. years. And that's what he's talking about with the Minoan, the Roman, mm. and then the medieval warm period. Is we've had these warmings before in recent history. And 
there's been a cooling that's happened after each of those. Hmm. And to now blame this warming period solely on carbon dioxide makes less and less sense as you look at the rest of the data. Okay. So some of the things I also hear you saying here about carbon dioxide is is that, one, it's a trace gas. It's a real small part of the whole atmosphere. Right. Two, it's a naturally occurring part of the mm-hmm. atmosphere. It's yep. good for yep. plants. It's plant right. food, as you talked about, and that there has varied in amounts and levels throughout history, throughout the paleo climate mm-hmm. uh, and the current ecology. And then what I just heard you say, uh, referring to uh, Singer's book, yep. is that global warming does occur. Yeah. About every 1,500 years, yeah. that, that seems to be the pattern, yeah. Yeah. calling it unstoppable, um, <laughs> related there with uh, global temperatures, but different from CO2 levels in themselves. Well, we have a couple minutes, and so I at least want to get onto severe weather. Yeah. And if we need to come back to CO2, maybe on another episode we can. But one thing you know that I hear often in mainstream media is that as climate continues to change, global warming, whatever you want to call it, climate change, as that continues to go, as humans continue to contribute to it, we're going to see increased frequency of severe weather like hurricanes and tornadoes and drought, mm-hmm. and we're going to see them increase in severity, in degree. So tornadoes will become more violent, hurricanes will become bigger and more destructive, <clears throat> droughts will be longer and more horrible and yeah. destructive. Um, what can you tell us about the science here? What, what is science telling us? What is when, evidence telling us? When it comes to almost any extreme weather event, what we're being told is that these extreme weather events will be more frequent and they will be more intense. And the title I gave to this section in the article was Hurricanes, Tornadoes, and Droughts. Oh, my. <laughs> Reference to the Wizard of Oz there? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, with droughts, first of all, we had far more severe droughts in the 1930s and the early 1950s. In the 1930s, people have heard of the Dust Bowl. Oh, yeah. Where so much of southern Midwest was nothing but dust. There was no rain. It was a severe drought, and we haven't approached anything close to that. One journalist source said the impacts of climate change are expected to increase the frequency, intensity, and duration of droughts. Mm. Well, when you actually look at all of the data and the long-term data, there's been a slight decrease over the last 100, 120 years. Droughts are not increasing, and they are not increasing in intensity. Decreasing in frequency and decreasing in severity. Yes. It's the opposite of what we're being told. In the last 30 years. Over the last 120 years. 120 years. If you look at the longer period, that's what you always have to look for. Yeah, longer is better. a short period to say, oh, look what happened here. We want a big trend. We want to to look long term. We want a longer trend. To be more accurate. That we've actually been able to make clear measurements of them. Okay. Mm Also, tornadoes is put in the same category. 2011, Paul Epstein said in The Atlantic that the recent trend of severe and lethal tornadoes is part of a global trend toward more storms. Well, that simply is not true. If he didn't lie to you, he was simply then misinformed. The actual trend, first of all, of severe tornadoes, F3 or above, is that they're decreasing. The overall number of tornadoes is also decreasing. In fact, 2016 saw the fewest tornadoes in the United States ever recorded. Now, if everything's supposed to be increasing, you're not expected to set a low of that type in this current period. 
basically, in my opinion, the models and the predictions are simply wrong. The last one I talked about is our hurricanes. And here you have to be a little careful. The U.S. National Climate Assessment 2014 stated that the intensity, frequency, and duration of North Atlantic hurricanes have all increased since the early 1980s. That's, so since that's, the 80s, they've increased. That's about a 40-year stretch yeah. of time. The last 40 years, okay. Well, that's true. But if you look at the longer-term trend going back to 1920... Okay, yes, longer-term is better. The trend is downward. Oh, down. If you look at the frequency and severity of hurricanes for the whole Earth, the trend is still slightly downward. Hmm. There certainly is no dramatic increase. And also, the period between 2006 and 2017, recent history, saw no major hurricanes make landfall in the United States. In the last We went 12 years, years without... Yeah. A severe hurricane hitting North America. Interesting. So when climate change alarmists, shall we say, raise this banner that because of climate change, we're going to see an increase in, in frequency and severity of hurricanes and tornadoes and drought. My question to you is, what is science telling us and what is the evidence showing us? And what I hear you saying is when it comes to droughts, we've had fewer yeah. in the last century, mm-hmm. fewer now than we did a century ago. When it comes to tornadoes, severe tornadoes, especially F3s and above, mm-hmm. we're seeing less of those mm-hmm. in recent mm-hmm. times now than we used to. And when it comes to hurricanes, also, if you take the longer view yeah. in terms of the last century, there's been less, especially when you look at even the, the, the global perspective, the global number of, of hurricanes. Also, slightly downward, a little bit well, less. All three of those are is a slightly downward trend over the last 100, 120 years, somewhere in that range. Now, we have had severe droughts in the early part of the 1900s, of the 20th century. So 1930s, 1950s, the Dust Bowl, like we did have yes. far more severe droughts than what we're having now. And those were early in the increase of carbon dioxide, and it'd be hard to indicate that that had something to do with that. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that all the trend lines are going the wrong way. Exactly. For climate change models that are so alarmist and so concerned. They're all going down, and that's part of the problem. And the fact that they're all three doing the same thing yes. is also severely mm-hmm. concerning for those models. It makes it sound like, you know, if we're doing proper science, we should throw out the model. The model's not describing reality. We'll throw the model out. And let's let's create a new model. I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm on board for that. It sounds to me like, Dr. Bowen, what you really want our listener to get out of this is to have a healthy degree of skepticism on what mm-hmm. they're hearing from mainstream media when it comes to climate change. Why don't you tell the listener what you think you want them to get out of this? Well, there, there's a movie that was came out decades ago where one of the lines in it that was repeated frequently was, show me the money. <laughs> Anytime you hear a claim I like that about climate change, your question should be, or your statement should be, show me the data. Okay. Where's the data you're basing what you just said on? And don't just tell me science shows. Science never says anything. <laughs> Scientists say things, and science is just a way of doing business in the in the natural world. It doesn't speak. And specifically, where did you get that information? Or one of the what my wife called the five killer questions. Where did you get that information? Where did that come from? Yeah. And do you find it reliable? And is there other information that might temper your statement? But yes, in the, in the article, I basically say whatever you hear in, in standard media, what you might call mainstream media, I think it's often abbreviated MSM, I go farther than just be skeptical. I say simply don't believe it. Wow. Just don't. That's a bold claim. 
even a magazine that's dedicated to scientific issues like National Geographic. I used to love National Geographic. Yeah, I me too. I subscribed to it for decades. Mm-hmm. And once we got to the point where I didn't have any place to put them all, <laughs> I stopped. But now today, it would be I would not subscribe in protest. I'm not going to give any money to that organization because they are fueling what I would call climate alarmism. Climate alarmism. Yeah. So, listener, do be skeptical. Ask the question. Show me the money. Show me the data. Where is the data coming from? Is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? And then uh, I would throw in a question of my own here, Doctor Bowen, which would be, uh, "What are you not telling me? <laughs> what, what data have you omitted from this yeah. from this set? And and is that important? Because sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. And that's an important question to consider there as well." Listener, we hope you're, you're getting something out of this, and if it's not different questions to ask about climate change in terms of what you're hearing from mainstream media, a new perspective on it. As a ministry, we exist to help believers think biblically. While we haven't evoked much scripture today, um, we do want you to think <laughs> critically and think truthfully, because uh, if what God revealed in His Word is true, and if God is indeed true, then all truth is God's truth. And mm-hmm. uh, whether it comes from scripture or whether it comes from science, it doesn't really matter where it comes from, because if... Again, what Scripture says is true, then this is His world, and everything He made in it is His, and if it's true, then it speaks to Him. One thing I'd just like to throw in as we're closing, and I got this from the Cornwall Alliance, which is a Christian creation care ministry, and they have been involved in the client change uh, discussion. One of their perspectives is that it's simple hubris to think that we as human beings could possibly alter that much what God has designed. Mm. Are we really able to accomplish something like that? Yeah. And I think that's an excellent statement. I think it is, too. We're giving humans too much influence. Giving ourselves way too much credit. I think there's a lot that could be said on that, Dr. Bowen. That might could fill an entire podcast episode. (laughs) Just the hubris that's involved in all the ways that that's involved. And that would make sense because as mankind, I know from the scriptures reveal that we're flawed and we're arrogant Mm -hmm. and we're bent on ourselves. And if, uh, you know, I hate to categorize it this way, but if science, which itself is not necessarily isn't God, but Mm -hmm. if if a lot of scientists aren't believers and they're hung up on themselves, then it would make sense that their bent would be towards things that are proud and about themselves. That would make sense. I know I'm that way because I know that's true for them because I know it's true for me. (laughs) I'm that way. Environmentalism as a whole has become a God that many are serving. It's idolatry. Mm. And so the books that come from uh, the Cornwall Alliance deal with that aspect of it as well as the scientific aspect. Mm. That's so good. Well, we're out of time, Dr. Bowen. I'm sorry. We'll probably have to pick this up another time. But listener, glad you tuned in today and hope you learned something about climate science, climate change. Mm-hmm. If you have more questions about this, you can find this episode. You can find uh, this article on our website, probe.org. I've been your host today, Paul Rutherford, and we will see you next time. Thanks for being with me, Dr. Bowen. It's a pleasure. <laughs>